Good morning and welcome to Mission Vale Christian Church. I am so glad that you're with us today. I'm excited about the series that we're in. We're calling this Undercover Boss. We're going to look into the truths of God's Word over the next six weeks together and really see how sometimes there's some things that can be undercover in us without us knowing and how we can conquer over those things. So let's get right into it now, into the Word. I am so glad you're here. I just, every time we gather, I just believe that God has something very, very life-changing and special and hopefully transformational from the inside out. Do you believe that? Good, good. Hey, I wanted to take a moment before we get into the conclusion of the series on Undercover Boss. If you've seen the television show, it's just basically about owners, CEOs, managers of company that will go undercover in disguise. They will see what's really happening in the company, and I won't give you the rest because it's just kind of one week after the other. It's a whole different story. It's really cool and very eye-opening, and some of them are very inspiring. So we're winding that down. But before we get to that, I do want to take a moment. I think as a church family, we need to pray for what's going on in Afghanistan. We need to pray for our troops. We need to pray for safety. So let's do that. God, we um, are aware that in your word, God, that things, unfortunately, God, things like this need to play out according, God, to your plan. And we trust you, God. We are praying for our military, the troops, for the safety of the Afghan people. We are praying for those that are still there who are Americans, God, that you will have safe return home soon, God. We also pray for your hand on this. We know that the good news of Jesus Christ can transform any heart. And God, we are praying through this ugly process that God, um, the, the gospel, your kingdom would be advanced in that region of the world. We pray for pastors. We pray for Christians that are there. Give them strength. And God, our last prayer here is if there's anything we can do at Missionville Christian Church beyond praying, that's, that's where we want to start, God. Show us, God, if there's something that we can do even miles away. So we pray for this. We are believing you hear our prayers and we want to be active, God, in what's happening in our world. So we reach out to you, Lord, knowing that you are all powerful. You are mighty. You hold everything in your hands. And we know, God, nothing takes you by surprise. We take great comfort, God, in your word that reminds us that you win in the end, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Well, I am so glad you're here. We're, um, as I mentioned, we're concluding a series called Undercover Boss. We're going to talk about this ugly thing. Just hang in there with me. We're going to talk about this ugly thing called pride, okay? Choosing humility or choosing pride. I do want to mention just some celebrations and some things that I'm real excited about. Uh, we started something very new here. And as you know, in the midst of you know, COVID land and just everything we've been walking through in the last year and a half, it's been very difficult. And we have chosen to improvise, overcome, and adapt with God and whatever he's given us, God, we're going to keep moving forward. Our mission and vision will never change. And part of our mission is we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we started something new here called Next Steps. 
It's a six-week class, if you will, that meets here on campus. Pastor Scott is one of our associates. He's been running that. It's our first launch out about eight weeks ago. I do want to let you know that over 20 people decided to take that class and commit to it. They finished. They graduated, which is cool. It's basically about learning kind of some of the uh, 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 elementary stuff of the faith, what we believe here, and why we do what we do. I am also equally excited. Really excited, not just that they went through that, but they have now decided through under Scott's leadership to start a whole new life group with a new leader. So there's another life group that started. Robert uh, Jenkins, one of our other pastors, started another life group. I bring this up to you to let you know our life groups are just community groups. They're small groups that we gather together around the word, but we do life together. How many of you agree we need people to lean on? People that we can trust, right? And whether you're, you know, whether you're five or 105, we, everybody needs somebody. And so I really want to encourage you to get into a life group. You can get more information about that at the connection point in the back. Obviously, everything's on our website, mvcchome.org. But I really want to ask you to prayerfully consider getting connected in here because we want to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. The other thing that I'm real excited about is something new that we've started called Starting Point. And that is on September 5th, a new one starting here rather quickly. That is just an introductory, get to know you, get to know the pastors. What do we believe at MVCC? And not so much as what we believe, but what are we doing about what we believe? And how can we get on board together? And so that's a lunch that's provided on September 5th. All of our pastors are there. We'd love to just kind of get to know you. We kind of roll out some things for that hour. It's very short. We don't like meetings that go over an hour at Mission Vale Christian Church. And we have lunch together and hang out. So you can sign up for that. If you've been thinking, you know, I think maybe we'd like to plant roots here. We'd like to call this our spiritual home. And that is definitely for you. And so the next, next steps, which is the six-week class, that one's going to be starting on September 8th. So please um, get into that. If you've been hanging around at MVCC, we really want you to get involved. Also, as you know, if you've been here, prayer is one of the passions of MVCC. I believe through prayer and seeking God, things really begin to happen in the supernatural that touch the natural. The church, we need to be on board that there is a spiritual battle going on. Not everything that's going on is exactly how we see it in the natural. That's why we need to connect with our God, and he gave us prayer. So August 31st is our first prayer night back. It's worship and prayer night, 7 p.m. We have full children's ministry. We really want you to be here. Don't worry if you come late. Come at 7.30. If you have to leave at 7.30, there's going to be some interactive prayer stuff. So I really want you to come out and pray. We're not going to ask you to pray out loud. It's not that kind of prayer gathering. We're going to worship, get into God's presence, and then we're going to let the Holy Spirit direct the time and pray some things that are very specific going on in our world and in our lives. Are you with me? We will see you August 31st at 7 p.m. Can't wait for that for prayer. All right. We all wanted the American dream. When my parents moved here when I was 10 years old, we moved out of Fountain Valley into Mission View. It was a new community. I remember seeing on the um, license plate holder, beautiful Mission Viejo, the American dream. And uh, we kind of just moved out here because it was a new place, a new time. And, you know, a lot of young families, a lot of kids, new schools established. It's all fun and fresh and new. But here's the thing about the American dream. I want what I want when I want it. Help me to make enough money to get what I want. And if I don't like what I want, then I want enough money to get out of it. Did you catch that? Because I can't do that again. So I hope you caught that. Basically, it's about me. Life was about me. 
So my father, when I was 10 years old, put a tennis racket in my hand. It was like, you know, certain sports or activities or hobbies, you know how you just connect with something, you develop a passion for it. As soon as he slipped that racket into my hand, I was age nine, nine and 10. We were over at the YMCA. He taught me firsthand how to play tennis. It was like Luke Skywalker and the lightsaber, you know? I just felt one with the racket. I fell in love with that sport. I'd come home every day after school. Nobody would hit with me because I didn't. we were just a new community. I think there was four or five tennis courts over here. I'd hit against the garage door till 10 o'clock at night. I'm sure the neighbors were going crazy. And I just, I loved the game. And the other thing about loving the game is I love to win. I'm very competitive and I love to win. Now this is all pre-Christ, before I met the Lord. My, the story that I have goes deeper. I didn't grow up in the church and all that. So I didn't know the Lord so it, it was all about me on the tennis courts. My parents bought me new shoes. They bought me private lessons, tennis coaches, tennis tournaments on the weekend, new rackets, new clothes, whatever I wanted. They gave it to me. My parents were very you know, uh, uh, lucrative with money. They had two businesses doing very well. So I never went without need. I just, whatever I had, I wanted. The problem was when I made it all about me, and the fact that I got a little bit of that Italian deep down in me, when I lost a point, lost a match, did something that I didn't want to do on the tennis court, I would smash rackets, I would cuss, I would quit. If you cheated, I'm cheated. I was just bad, 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 bad. Now, here's the thing about all that. I remember one time in high school tennis, I played at Capo High School, we got in an argument I was playing doubles with a buddy of mine. We got an argument on the court against a guy in Laguna Beach, and we almost went to fistfight. My, my partner had to restrain me. Horribly embarrassing. But here's the whole deal about that. It was pride and ego that was driving my life. And here's the, here's the bottom line. I was my own worst enemy. I was my own worst enemy. I couldn't blame the rackets. I couldn't blame my friends. I couldn't blame my parents. It was all about me and what I was doing or not doing. I think there's a little thing called pride that we all struggle with. You know, there's a little thing called ego. You might have heard, ease God out. And the more that I let that become undercover in my life and I don't address the fact that sometimes I want what I want when I want it and it's all about me and life becomes very selfish and it's all egocentric, I can get in some deep trouble if I am a Christian. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today, and you know what, Mike? I don't know if I believe that, that book, that Bible is the word of God. I don't know if Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, I'm not even sure Jesus was even alive. Maybe he's a made-up story. I am so glad that you are here. But here's what I would ask you. To take a look at some of the facts and credibility. Aside even from the Bible, there's so much overwhelming physical evidence about the fact that there was a real man named Jesus Christ who lived in the Palestinian area. He died on a cross outside the city gates of Jerusalem. The Romans crucified him. He promised that he was going to be risen on the third day. On the third day, he arose from the dead. I would ask you to take a look at that from an objective, uh, factual possibility. If you come to the conclusion... And if you're here today, you have come to the conclusion, yes, I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you during the next 20 minutes of this message to absolutely trust him at his word. Can we just be real today? We all suffer from a thing called pride and ego. We make life all about us. What does God think about that? 
Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures here, actually three of them. The first one we're going to look at, and this is what God says about pride. Proverbs 8, 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. He says this, I hate pride and arrogance. He didn't say, I hate people who are pride and arrogant. He just said, I hate when you let pride get the best of you and you make life, Mike, all about yourself. I don't like that because it goes so contrary to my teaching. Let's look at the next one, James 4, 6. God opposes the proud and give grace to the humble. One of the things I've noticed about a true move of God is God is always attracted to humility. God will always pass by somebody or a group of people that says, no, we got it all together. We really don't need you, God. We got this handled. God just passes on by. He's looking for someone who's humble, who will seek his face, who will love him from all their heart, who aren't perfect, who don't have all the answers, but their heart is so in tune with God. I want to be humble before you. God is attracted to that. There are revivals that have happened since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And every single one of those revivals where God wakes up the people of God and the people start doing what God told them to do and everybody's alive and there's a fresh wave of the Spirit, it always started with prayer and humility. Jeremiah 9.23 is, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast in their riches. Man, I'm just convicted even by reading that, that sometimes I fall into the mode of, well, I did that. I went to school for that. I made that money. I bought that. I went down to CVS. I got the medication. It can all be about me. When God, you've been so good to me, all the source of everything that has been good in my life, God, is from you. And God says, don't let pride and ego go undercover in your life. Let it, let's expose it. And let's deal with it. Let's face it. Can somebody say amen? amen? The bottom line is this. I want to call my own shots. And sometimes we can mask it into, I'm saved, sanctified, washed in the word, washed in the blood of the lamb. I know Jesus. Woo! I'm going to heaven saved by grace. And yet I can start calling my own shots even in my own life, thinking that I'm really following Jesus and I'm missing out on a wonderful blessing of humility. James, I'm sorry, Judges 17.6. Let's just take a look at one more text. In those days, Israel had no king. And all the people, does this feel a little bit like self-counting? All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. In their own eyes. So, God, how do we do this? Pride and ego can get the best of me and can go undercover. Everyone, I believe, every single one of us has the potential to be our own worst enemy, don't we? We just do. And so I'm going to ask us to trust Jesus with all our heart. Here's what he says in his word about having a foundation. In Matthew chapter seven, if you have your Bibles, please open there. Uh, we're gonna look at it here. If you don't have it, it's okay. I just wanna lay a foundation because that's what Jesus talked about. The reason that on the tennis court, I was so out of control and so into myself and everything had to be about me and get out of my way because I'm gonna be a professional tennis player and it was the most unhappiest time in my life is because I did not have the foundation of Jesus Christ and the word. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't leave me in my mess, that he, he rescued me. How many of you have been rescued by Jesus? 
Man, you know, you get a group of people that know, you know you'd be dead without Jesus. You know you wouldn't have been able to kick drugs if you weren't off or, or, or hadn't met Jesus. You know that your life would be an absolute scam if you didn't know Jesus. People who know that Jesus has rescued them, they have a passion to do whatever God's called them to do. And here's what I want us to have a foundation. Let's look at, nobody can say it better than Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts it into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams arose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, what's the difference? You know, I used to read that text, and I'm thinking, look for the rock. Look for the rock and build your house on the rock. Yes, that's probably the case, but there's another aspect of that that I had missed. It wasn't so much about the rock and the sand as much as digging down deep enough, even if you're in the sand, to find the rock. The men who kept digging built his house on the rock, where everyone else is building their life on the superficial. Hey, I got this. I got this raise. I got this car. I got that vacation home. We vacation here for the summer. My life is great. My life is wonderful. I got my wife in my hip pocket. My husband's in my front pocket. My kids know exactly. I've got life by the tail, baby. And we can get so easy into that that we miss. Jesus is calling us to something radically different. He wants us to be doers. Don't just listen. So action point number one, if you're taking some notes or just make a mental note here, however you want to do it. For me, I got to write things down. I'm just a little slower. So when I write it down, I'm going to remember it. Here's number one. Listen to the conviction. Listen to the conviction. You ever felt you're in this place of tension? Should I? Shouldn't I? Conflict? I really want to do this over here, but I know it's not right. Listen, it's not bad to have conflict. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, he said there's always going to be this flesh and the spirit that's warring against one another. And we get to choose which road we want to take. So, so it's not so much, oh my gosh, I got so much conflict. In my life. The fact that you have a lot of conflict internally might be a good thing because God is causing the growth. When I'm driving down the 91 freeway, I want to be in the fast track lane. I do not want to be on the road to purgatory in the right lane. I want to be over here in the left lane. So how can I get in the left lane? I must be willing to obey Jesus at his word, no matter what the outcome, no matter what I think about it, and most importantly, no matter what I feel about it. That's where maturity comes, man. God wants us to be growing. He wants us to be mature in our faith in Jesus. Have you ever helped uh, I've been around someone who's said some of these things. I know us here today, church people, we don't say these things. We don't think these things, but I know you've heard these. Number one is this. I see you have one of those that does everything this one does, but this one is better. I'm driving, got new tires on my Toyota Tacoma truck. I'm driving out from the tire establishment, sitting at a red light, and Ford F-150 on the left side of me parks right there, right at the red light. I'm looking at his tires and his rims, and I'm going, I want those. 
What is it within us that thinks I got to have better? Because it's all about me. Why can't I be content with what God has given me? Come on, Myola, this is just the introduction. I know it's wrong. I just won't tell anyone. Right? How about, how about this one? I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me anyway. I know this stuff hurts, but look, if we're going to let this stuff emerge and, and, and really get to the grassroots of the pride and ego that we have, I just believe God wants to come with grace and love and gentleness and mercy and fix all that stuff in us. Pride is ugly. Ego is ugly. People don't want to be around that. People are attracted. Most importantly, God is attracted to humility. What's the next one? Oh, this one hurts. Sure, your husband would be hurt if he found out, but he's too dumb to find out. Oh. Huh? Come on, somebody said that, right? We'll go on the other side of this. Yes, your girlfriend would be devastated, but she's not nearly as, I can't even say it, okay? Anybody resonate with any of this? We don't want to go here. Once we start selling ourselves, once we start justifying because a little thing called pride got a root in our spirit, we can, get, we can spin so easily out of control and we don't want to be there, right? We don't want to be there. So turn in your Bibles. This is where the main text we're going to stay this morning is 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now I want you to stay with me here. It's 22 verses. It's a lot of text, but I just believe you know, the most important thing we can do here is the word. So we're going to do that. But before I read the text, I just want to set this up a little bit. Whenever we read the Bible, if you're new to the Bible or you've been reading the Bible for years in your life, it's always, always important that we read what's called in context. That means we context of the paragraph, context of the chapter, context of the book, context of the Bible. You can really make the Bible say anything you want it to say. You can take one verse over here, one verse here, one verse here, and build some wacky, weird theology. And that's how man-made religions get started. We don't want to do that. We want to stay true to the text. David has been anointed of God. You might remember this three weeks ago when David, who was anointed of God to be the next king of Israel, the first king was King Saul. He was not only anointed, but he was appointed by God. Now, David, the Bible tells us back in 1 Samuel that David was kind of a, a, a ruddy little shepherd boy. There wasn't much to be attracted to him physically. Saul was tall in stature. He was wide I wish I could be wider, but he was wide and he was taller and he had a commanding presence. People would follow Saul because of his title, not because of his anointing. That's where Saul missed it. Saul, one downfall was Saul loved himself. He didn't love God above anything else. So when he saw David... And he heard that David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He got nervous. This is why when he called David, remember this? We, we talked about this in, in 1 Samuel 19 a few weeks ago. And for those that maybe weren't there, um, I just want to recap this. He invites David to come into his courts. The king is sitting on his throne. He's got his hand on the spear. David walks in with his hand on the harp, holding it on his side. What does the harp represent? David's worship to God. He never took his hand off of the harp. The worship. He was a worshiper. And so what he did is he sat down right in front of the king. The king pulls the spear out and he throws it right like a javelin, right towards David. David does one thing, I believe, of the Lord. He ducks. And the spear goes right over his head into the back wall. David had a choice to make right there. Remember that David doesn't miss. One stone killed the giant. 
David could have taken that spear out and thrown it right at King Saul. David would have been the new king. Everybody would have praised him, but he never took matters into his own hands. Saul wanted what David had, but he couldn't get it with money, fame, fortune, power, manipulation. He couldn't get it because that's not how you get it. You get anointing from God alone. And he is attracted, watch this please, he is attracted to the humble. That's, you want more of the favor of God in your life? You want more of the power of the Holy Spirit? You want to be able to parent your kids so that they will love and serve Jesus? Yes, church life is good. Yes, studying the word is good. You've got to have as a parent the anointed life. And the way that we have the anointing of God is we say, God, I'm all yours. Whatever you want, Lord, I, I, I'm here for you. Whatever you want me to do, I'm, and that was David's life. So now we're in chapter 24. We're going to read the text in just a second, but I just want to fast track now on the 91 freeway to chapter 24. Here's where we are. Saul is so upset, he's so unearthed, he's so full of anxiety and fear. Whenever a leader is afraid, it's a bad scene. And that's where Saul was. He was so afraid of losing his position, the only way out of this was to get David out of the picture. So the first thing he does, the javelin didn't work. Let's try this. I'll put him on the front lines of every battle. He'll die in battle. That didn't work because God's hand is on David. See, when God's favor is on you, it doesn't mean that you get everything you want. It just means I can be secure with whatever God allows to come in my life. I trust him at every level. That didn't work, so let's try this. I'll get 3,000 of my 30,000 men, King Saul says, which was overkill anyway. Think about 3,000 men to look for one man, and he travels, and he goes through a place called En Gedi. In fact, let's just take a look at a couple of pictures. If you travel to Israel today, this is what En Gedi looks like. This is the place. Beautiful. Almost looks like vacation land, right? Let's take a look at the second one. These beautiful caves and waterfalls. They think something like this is where we find King Saul with his 3,000 men tirelessly and exhausted looking for this little shepherd boy who would be the next king. So he goes into the cave. He's tired. Takes a nap. Refreshes. Needs to regain his strength. Isn't it interesting that when the king calls for a time of rest, the entire 3,000 men stand still. And they're waiting for the king to come out. What's so cool about this 24th chapter, we're going to read it in just a second, is David and his mighty men didn't have 3,000, but he was anointed, were in the back of the cave. He sees a silhouette walking toward him, laying down now resting. He knows that figure, what he looks like. That's the king. That's the anointed one. That's the king of Israel. He's my king. He, in fact, the vernacular of that David vocabulary, David would even say, that's my Lord in an earthly sense. So there was a respect there. This is the king he's entered in. Now, listen with me for a second. Because this, this is what, well, the text says it, but this is the way I think it went down. David's mighty man, David, it's the king. Remember the scripture. He has delivered your enemies into your hands. You could, right now, remember Goliath? Take him out. And now all 30 of them start. David, you can do it. Take him out. You're our man. Do it, man. 
We'll stand by your side, David. Watch this. David pulls his knife out. He goes over to the king. Now watch this. I think we're going to read the text. He felt conviction. He felt conviction. In fact, he even says, he describes it. He says, this is my Lord. I think David's flesh, that initial thing when he went over to him was, I'm going to take this guy out because God said I'm the next guy. Let's just speed it along a little bit. Ever been there? Helping God get to where you, he called you to be? I can just give you a little help, God, here. You know, that's where David was. Something, I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, that conviction. He took his knife and he was about to plunge it. By the way, if I was with junior hires right now, they'd be like, yeah, this is great. So he plunges the knife ever so closely into his, his neck. Knowing this could be it. As soon as I walk out of that cave, 3,000 men and my 30 men, everyone's going to praise David. He relents. He pulls back. And he just cuts the hem of his garment off. Out of humility, respecting God and obedience to God. Lift not a hand against my anointed right? You see, one man is so filled with pride, the other one is so walking in humility. Who had the upper hand? Let's look at the text now. Stay with me. We got to read the text and we got to get into this and then we're going to look at what God wants us to do and then we get to football. Okay, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert in En Gedi. We took a look at those pictures. We know what En Gedi looks like, right? So Saul took 3,000 able young men of all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A wave was there and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed. Do you see him? Cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off even a corner of his robe. He felt conviction. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should look. This is where David just gets down with God and he says, I'm going to do the right thing. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He recognizes this is the king. So, well, I'm not praying for the president because I don't agree with him. I didn't pray for the last president. I'll, I'll pray for this one. We pray. God allows who he allows in office. We are to pray for that man. We are to pray for that woman, that God blesses them and that they accept Jesus and they do the wisdom of God, right? With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. You see him holding up the piece of the robe? I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life? May the Lord judge. Now watch what he says here. He doesn't say, the Lord's going to kill you, Saul. He doesn't say that. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me. 
David stands fully humble, fully open. God, if there's anything in my life, you have full reign. Do you see what he's doing? He's humble. And the Lord may avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Can I just say something right here? Hold that slide right there. You got somebody in your life, you know they did wrong to you. You know they spoiled. You know that they, they, they did something to you that was uncalled for. There was, there was hurt and betrayal and, and disguise and hate and all that. And you had a moment to take them out. You have a moment to decide, what am I going to do? I hope that we take the way David took. Lord, I will be humble and I will trust you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. May the Lord judge. Okay, we're at uh, verse... Sorry, okay, may the Lord judge between you and me and the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Let's go on. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hands will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. Notice all the attentions on God. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he be... uh, He vindicated me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. Can I just hold that slide right there? What he's saying is, you got me. You're the good guy, I'm the bad guy. But I don't think it was sincere. I don't think it was from the heart. I think he didn't want to lose face in front of his men, in front of David's men. Anytime any leader tries to hold on to power, they will compromise at any cost. That's what Saul was doing. Saul was so afraid of losing his position, he couldn't even acknowledge that he was doing wrong by chasing David, but he wanted everybody to see because everybody in that entrance of that cave, they knew who the bigger man was. David could have killed him but he took a small garment off of his robe. Isn't this great how the word of God is just so real? It's just so raw, right? Okay, you are more righteous than I. He said, you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. False humility, doesn't gonna work, Saul. Let's go on. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well. You are such a good guy, David. You are anointed. Woo! For the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king. Look at what he's buttering him up, man, because he's so afraid. Surely king, and that kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me. But look what he's doing. He's trying to grab anything he can on the way out. Now swear to me. By the Lord, that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe away my name. He's so worried about his name, his reputation from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Look at David, man. He's just so humble. Then Saul returned home. But David and his men, his mighty men, went up to the stronghold. Woo! I just love that word. I just, that chapter has been embedded in my mind all week long, man. I want to follow the way of the Lord. I want to be like David. I want to, when I have that crossroad in my life, I want to be able to choose what he chose. Humility over pride. And whatever it takes, man, whatever it takes. He didn't just listen, but David obeyed. David was an obedient servant of God. I ought not to attempt to replace what God put in place. That's a word for somebody today. 
I ought not attempt to replace what God has already put in place. The next thing I, the next time I think I'm all that, and a bag of chips, and then some, and thinking, well, I'll direct this, and I'll move this over here, and we're going to do this over here, and we're going on this vacation, and we're going to buy this house, and we're going to do this, and I think I'll move over. Ho, ho, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it said in James, your life is like a vapor. And that visual is not to say that our life is, is, is not worth anything. He just wants us to have a perspective. He's in control. All he asks of us is cooperation and obedience to the Holy Spirit, right? Well, why don't we just do that? Why can't we be like Joseph and David? Joseph was another guy who in the Old Testament was called of God to be the right-hand man for Potiphar who had jurisdiction over the entire Egyptian land and the people. He goes away on a business trip. He says, Joseph, I need you to do two things. Watch over my kingdom while I'm gone. I'll be back in a few weeks, and I want you to watch over my wife. Protect her, make sure she's okay. As soon as he leaves on JetBlue, she goes right into his quarters. And as soon as she goes into his quarters, she says, I know, I know you want me and you can sleep with me. You can have me. My husband is gone. I love what Joseph did. Joseph said, I cannot sin against my God. Whoa, why can't that be my first reaction? Why can't that be my first choice? I will not, I cannot sin against my God. Second thing he did is get out of there, man. He got out of town. He got out of Dodge so fast. All he had was the tunic around his waist. And even though he was falsely accused, he did the right thing. I'm thinking about getting a divorce. I'm thinking about ending the relationship. You know, just things aren't working out. I'm just thinking, thinking about. What? What does the word say? Yeah, every marriage has its, has its issues and seasons. Every relationship, dating relationship has seasons. It, 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 every parenting aspect of, of parenting is gonna have its seasons. Jesus is saying, you hold on and trust me and do my word. Hold on and trust me. Take the humble way out. My father always taught me. He was in sales all his life. He taught this to me. He said, humility, son, humility always wins. Humility always wins. May not win right in the moment, but in the scope of eternity, this is after he got saved, in the scope of eternity, humility always wins. I should write that down. That's a word for somebody today. I'll tell you, one of the worst fears I have in my life is to get to a place of pride and egotism that I start thinking, Oh, I'll never do that. Oh, that'll never happen to me. I would never do that sin. Wow, isn't that like Peter? Lord, I will die for you. I will never deny you. Six hours later, I never knew the man. Three times. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody that fell to some kind of great tragedy, whether it was moral failure or just made a bad decision, and they are sliding and sliding down to the depths of despair, and you looked, and in your mind you thought, glad it wasn't me. Oh, I'll never do that. You know, one of the things that scares me the most is that the enemy in 1 Peter 5, it says he is such a schemer. He can turn something that looks so good into something that is so repulsive and so nasty and something called sin that absolutely separates us from God, not from God loving us, not from our salvation, but separates that, 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 that relationship that is separated. So as a young pastor, I used to say, oh, I'll never have an affair. 
Oh, I would never do that. that that'll never happen to us. I just, will, I just will never let that happen. Some of that was some pride. Oh, you, Mike, you think you're above all that? The picture in my mind that I had to imprint in my heart and my mind was that my boys at a young age going to my wife and saying, Mommy, how come daddy's not a pastor anymore? And how come daddy doesn't live with us anymore? Call it whatever you want. I love God with all my heart. I don't want to break any of his rules. But that image embedded in my mind helps me. It helps me. And I'm not saying that this is something that I like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a problem here. I'm just saying hypothetically, and this right here with King David, this story helps me. I have that visual in my mind. There's nobody that will ever be able to take that visual away of him going in and taking out the king, and he just cuts the edge of his garment, and that's all he does out of humility. I've got that right here. So next time pride and arrogance and egotism starts to get the best of me, I got that thing in my mind. Holy Spirit, thank you. What was the word today? I don't want to be prideful. I want to be humble. Conviction of God is good, but it needs to be acted upon. It needs to be acted upon. So, some questions, and then I'll get out of your way. Are you contemplating something? Oh, man. I know this is tough. But don't we all have our dark little secrets, the closets? Are you planning something? Are you thinking about it? Friend? Spouse? Someone you're dating? Are you ignoring your conscience? Here's one that goes really deep. How will this decision of pride affect my life story? Not to say that God can't rescue, forgive, forget, and he can restore us. We believe in redemption theology. We are redeemed. But I'm just saying, I don't want any more speed bumps. I want to lessen the amount of speed bumps before I get to glory. Are you on the verge of being your own worst enemy? Don't do it. So, what do I do? What do we do? David, let's look at the slide here, decided... David decided not to use Saul's bad choices as an excuse for his own bad choice. Well, they're doing it. He did it. He's okay. He got away with it. You ever done that in your head? And we can't do that. We can't do that because there's too much at stake here. Look at David's self-control, his character, and his humility. So action point number two, and then we'll, we'll be done here. Would you, would I, be willing in that moment of conviction to stop and seek the Lord. When we say seek the Lord, when the word of God talks about seeking the Lord, we're talking about hearing from God. We're talking about pursuing. We're talking about relentlessly hanging on to God at any cost. Whatever God you're doing, whatever you're allowing, I will trust you, God. So how do I do that? I wish I could tell you it's something so simple, but I, I know from scripture there are certain elements that I have to put myself in a situation so that I can hear from God and respond to God and do what God wants me to do. That means I have to decide to make myself get into a community group. God didn't des did not design us to do it alone. We need one another. God called us to prayer. 
God called us to the word of God, opening my Bible and reading the word, shutting Netflix off for 15 minutes early. You can still watch Netflix, but 15 minutes early and reading the word, hanging around Christian people that are gonna uplift your life. It's, 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 it's doing the will of God. Where does God hang around? I think Matthew 25 says, in the last and the least, the naked, the, the, those that are poor, those that are destitute, those that are hungry, that means people in need. That's where God hangs around. We, we do the, what God says. We don't just listen to what God said. And in that, Lord, I'm willing to humble myself. When my kids were little, our kids, Laura and I, we have two boys. When they were little, we do kind of an annual thing. We go to the uh, fair, Orange County Fair every year. It's fun, fun food, fun music, just hanging around, walking around the vendors, you know, throw a few quarters on some of the games. And when the kids got older, a little bit older, they wanted to go on a ride by themselves. I said, no way. You ain't going on that ride by yourself. First of all, you see those bolts that are like coming off of that one ride? You see the guy pulling the lever? You want to go again, kid? You're not going by yourself. If you're going, you're going with me. Laura leans over and says, you know, we got to let go a little bit sometime. All right, all right. So we give the tickets to the kids and they go in a sea of people. They are going down this pavement onto the ride that they want to go to. It's their glory. And as the sea of people is all around them, I forgot to give something to Jonathan. And I said to him, Jonathan, in a sea of people, he turned around and he saw me. Not because my voice was the loudest, but because my voice was so much more familiar because he was hanging around dad. Does that resonate with us? Hearing the voice of God is not some big mystery. It's hanging around where God is and we start to hear it and recognize it and now I can respond to what God wants me to do. I don't want to be my own worst enemy. I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to live for titles. I'm going to live like David lived for the testimony of choosing humility. God, I thank you for, I thank you for the power of your word. Because it's, we believe, Jesus, it's your word that changes lives. It's nothing I've said here, God. It's all you. And I just believe, God, even in this moment, the cross, your son, the fact that he laid down on that cross and he let himself crucified on that cross out of love for us and relationship and moving towards us, God, and opening the door of heaven. We just want to say for those right now, God, where our prayer is, yes, thank you, God. And help us to have the same humility that was in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In every choice that we make, God, help us to make the right choice of humility. God, secondly, if there's anyone here today that just feels so far away from God, I just pray in the name of Jesus for you right now. And if that's you right now, you know what, Mike? I just, I just want to give my life to Christ right now. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I don't even really know much about the Bible. But I feel something in my heart. And I know I need Christ in my life. You just pray this prayer with me deep inside your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross. I believe in you. I confess to you that I've done things that are wrong. I've sinned against you, God. Would you please forgive me? I want to change, God, from my heart and my mind. I receive you now. I accept you now. I believe in you. Help me now. Follow you all the days of my life. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I just want to remind you that we have two services every Sunday, 9 and 11 a.m., both live and online. And we really look forward to seeing you again next week.